0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, the ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. We're going to jump right into this today because I have so much to talk about and so little time. And... We are wrapping up our series called Anxiety today, so hopefully that doesn't give you more anxiety, that we're not going to be talking about anxiety anymore, but actually, we're going to be rolling right into our next series, which is going to be called Faith Works, and we're going to spend like three months on the book of James, and I love the book of James. We haven't done James in a long time, we haven't gone through that whole thing, and we're going to do that starting next week. And so it's going to be a great follow-on to what we've been talking about over the last couple of months. So really, it's a continuation of, of everything. And so uh, what you want to do is make sure you're here. So, you know, cancel your vacation plans or whatever else. Just come home and then go back, that kind of thing. No, I'm kidding. You can always catch us online and make sure you tell people and invite them. This would be a great time to start a new series, you know, to start coming to churches during a new series had to cough real quick. may have to do that a couple times. Um, I'm still residually a little bit tiny sick from Dave Hurtado. If you remember, I blamed him um, for getting me sick because it's always helpful to blame someone else. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, 24. Here we go. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, If you've been with us over the past few weeks during this series, we've talked about a lot of different things relating to the issue of anxiety, but one theme has kind of emerged along the way in terms of the best way to battle it or handle it. Again, when we talk about anxiety, we're not talking about the clinical diagnosable anxiety that you need to take medication for to help control or maybe go see a medical professional. Not that type of official anxiety. We are talking about that low-grade, all-encompassing, nagging worry about our lives that robs us of our joy, steals our peace, and drives us to decisions made out of scarcity and fear. That's what we mean when we talk about Anxiety, it's the condition that most people think in some way or another that they have these days. The fear of failure or the fear of success. Fear of relationships, fear of moving forward, fear of being found out, fear of missing out, fear of being left out, fear of everything. But in this passage, Jesus is saying that it's actually possible to build your life in such a way that you can can withstand all the things that might come at you. That you can weather the storms, that in the midst of the tumultuousness of life, and life is hard, that you can have peace, that you can have strength, that you can stay focused on a purpose and have great and deep fulfillment in your life. So how do we do that, though? How do we find shelter from the storm? Well, in this passage and in other passages we've been looking at over the series, really the key word for us is just one simple word, which is obedience. Obedience obedience to the words of Jesus. In fact, to develop that a little more, I would say this, that my actions will either increase or decrease the amount of anxiety that I have. Now, I want you to think about that because that could be a little bit provocative. That might get underneath some of your skin. Wait, so you're saying that I am a contributor to my own anxiety? Yes, you are. And why is this? Because anxiety is often a result of the consequences of the actions of actions here. Here's the deal. That I can control. In other words, I will get anxiety from consequences, experiencing the consequences of actions that I myself did. So Jesus, in a sense, in this passage puts us in the driver's seat when it comes to whether, our li- or whether or not our lives will be something that we can really handle the pressure and stress that might come. Now, this is important because Jesus says that building your house on the rock as opposed to the sand is 100% dependent upon not only hearing the words, oh yeah, I heard the words, but actually following them, actually doing them, actually executing his teaching as though it were actually true in your life. And so whether or not you have a home built on the foundation of a rock which is able to withstand all of the the storms of life or one that will collapse and crash with a great fall is 100%, not 99.9, but 100% dependent upon our own ability to not only hear the words of Jesus but to put them into practice. So the question I want to ask is, because we could just say, oh, well, that's great. So how do we conquer anxiety? Obey Jesus. And everybody, I could get you all fired up and go, you know, we're going to follow Jesus. Yeah. You know, and we can get to this side of the room saying, you know, we want to follow Jesus. How about you? And then you guys say, we want to follow Jesus or whatever. You know, yes, we do. We want to follow. And that's cheese ball and lame and whatever. And we can get you all screaming and excited. And then we could go. And you can have a nice little brunch somewhere. But then you'd be walking out and you'd be like, yeah, but what does that mean? Like, what does it look like? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. So the question we have to ask is, when he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, we have to ask, well, what words is he talking about? What is he referring to? So this passage about building your house on either the rock or the sand is the conclusion of a sermon he's been preaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a a sermon he's been preaching to his followers where he's teaching them how to live life in such a way that God intended it to be lived. Not by the rules of everybody else that society has, the culture has, or even the, the laws of the land, but living it the way God has engineered it. So there's all these kind of like life hacks, you know, and all these pathways to freedom that Jesus has outlined throughout this. And, and they're very counterintuitive. They're things you wouldn't expect. And so he's been going all this. And he gets to the very end and say, look, if you, if you listen, not only hear the things that I've told you, but you actually do them, you will become someone who will live with a sense of peace and strength in your life, and you will be able to withstand whatever hits you. It's pretty good. So what I want to do in our time today Is based on that. Just look at two examples from the Sermon on the Mount that if we not only heard them, but actually did them and oriented our life towards them and and treated them as though they were actually real, that we could actually eliminate a lot of chaos and confusion in our lives. That we could really and truly eliminate so much of the stress that has us by the throat. So, I will say it this way. We need to go to war against a couple of things that rage on in our lives, and that he outlines in the Sermon on the Mount that he refers to earlier chapters. There's two of them I could give you more, but I'm only going to give two because we only have time for two, because we have another service that starts later on, and we can't run into that one. So I would say this: building my house on the rock, in other words, Living with a level of peace and strength, eliminating anxiety, being able to withstand life's storms means that I go to war against two things. Number one, I go to war against the lust in my heart. The lust in my heart. That's the first one. Because back in Matthew chapter 5, a few chapters earlier, we were in chapter seven, just reading a few minutes ago. Now we're going to go back to five. It's all one long sermon. He says this, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's pretty hardcore stuff. It's like, wait, 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 you mean like I didn't do anything? You mean I just, I just thought it? And what Jesus is getting after in this passages that it starts with the heart, that the things that are going on in here are are very important because they begin to manifest themselves in actions and behaviors and in ways of thinking. And so he's basically saying, if you deal with a sexual lust that rages in your heart and subject it to the authority of God, if we can obey God in this area, contrary to what the culture tells us to do, that we will become people who will build our houses on the rock, that we will have a stability and a foundation that will carry us through in ways we never could have imagined. Now this is very interesting, because if you look at the workplace right now, it's full of anxiety. Because we don't know how to treat one another anymore. And why is this? You know, what's, if you look at, like, especially large organizations, large organizations, and I've read all kinds of articles about this, are beginning to handle down these heavy-handed rules about how men and women are interact. And in some places, there's no more hugging. In some places, you can't compliment, you, for example, a guy can't say to a woman, hey, you look really pretty today, because that's harassment. Or you can't make any kind of comments, or even any kind of like innocent little joke, you know, like, oh, you know, something that's just like so commonplace, you don't mean anything bad by it, but just a little joke that can be interpreted as harassment, and taken, and you get written up. And, and so now, and so people are asking, we don't know how to treat each other anymore. And you got to ask yourself the question, well, how did we get here in the first place? Well, a big reason is because, by and large, the culture looked at something like this, this passage like this we just read, and said, ah, that's stupid. I will let my own lust be my guide. I will go where my heart wants me to go. I will do what I want to do and say what I want to say and think what I want to think. I'm not worried about what Jesus has to say. And so when the culture, by and large, adopts that kind of thinking, everything becomes sexualized. And so for decades in the workplace, as women have entered the workplace, by and large, sometimes it goes towards men too, but overwhelmingly it's women, they have become, you know, harassed, and, and there's been all kinds of comments made and jokes made, and, and they've been kind of quiet or maybe fought it a little bit, but it hasn't really come to the surface to rear its ugly head until very recently with the Me Too movement and everything else. So the culture's waking up and saying, we've got to stop this, and these titans of industry and entertainment and everything else have had great falls because they've, they've lived their lives acting on their own lust, treating women like dirt, and then it's come back to bite them. And you've seen this all over the place. Well, now the fallout is, well, we don't want to be like this, but we don't know what to do, because the question we're beginning to ask is, if men and women aren't supposed to look at each other lustfully, how are we supposed to look at each other? Uh, we don't know. That's the answer. How are we supposed to treat each other? I don't know what to do. Uh, uh, hi, uh, I'm averting my eyes. Uh, no one knows how to act. Because we never stop to think, what does it look like to treat another human being with decency and respect in a non-sexual way? That's like, why would anybody ask that question? And this is what you get when you have a culture that wholesale just looks at the words of Jesus and says, they're stupid. You have people that that are being treated like preschoolers. We are treating adults like preschoolers now and letting the authorities tell us how to act. And you'll get written up if you violate the little policy. Don't touch anyone. It's like, you're three years old. But this is what you get when you have a culture of people who don't know how to treat another human being like a normal person. So, the challenge we have to deal with is that sexual sin creates chaos and confusion. This is very, very, very important. You have to understand, sexual sin of any type creates chaos. It creates confusion, which results in all types of anxiety. Adultery, pornography, and thoughts brewing in your mind that manifest themselves into actions like inappropriate text messages, posting things on social media, and all these things that get us into trouble and create anxiety. Oh no, they're going to find out. Is she going to read this? Is this going to come back and bite me? It's out there in the blogosphere or the internet or the world wide web, and there's no way to take it back because I couldn't contain this part of my life, and it's a huge reason for anxiety. So Jesus says that as a man... If I'm a man, I am not, I'm not to look at a woman with lustful intent. That's just, that will ruin your life. So if I go back to the original question, and then, well, if I can't look at her with lustful intent, how am I supposed to look at her? Well, basically, the answer is, the framework of society is, out of the three and a half or so billion women that exist on the planet, guys, you get one. You do, you get one. Now, I know it's not a perfect world and stuff happens, and so sometimes, you know, people die and there's relationships have bad things happen, but the plan is, you get one. Now, if you reject that idea, if you think it's stupid and outdated, and if you say, no, I should be able to sexually express myself with whoever I want, whenever I want, blah, 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 that's fine, but you then will begin to subject yourself to a level of anxiety, stress, and worry that you are not designed to handle. You will sow nothing but despair and destruction. Your children will hate you. Other men will wish you were dead. You will weave a confusing and maddening dysfunctional family system that is impossible to navigate. And you will leave behind a trail of women who will shake their heads in contempt at the very mention of your name. But other than that, go ahead. I mean, that's cool. But this is the kind of wake we leave behind. So the Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's the plan. So all the sexual energy and drive and passion that God made you with and put them in your little loins, I just feel it, right? I have a passion. Okay. God designed all that energy to be directed at one woman. Now if that's true and you actually believe that, if you're a single dude and you actually believe that, as opposed to what your friends or anybody else says then it causes you to think differently. You start looking at women and you start going, well, if I only get one, then who should that one be? Oh, that's a good question. That's a clarifying question. Well, cause I don't want just anybody. I gotta get the right one. Well, who's the right, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. What qualities should she have? I better think morally than just the physical or just like what's happening on Friday night or who I can find on Tinder. That's brilliant. So I have to start asking myself questions like, is this a person I can trust? Will she be the type of mother I would want my kids to, be, to call mom? Will she be strong in her heart, and will she trust Jesus in tough times, or will she buckle? But then I also have to think about me. What kind of person am I to attract such a woman? I mean, I, the kind of woman I'm after isn't just going to go after anybody, otherwise she wouldn't be the kind of woman I would want. So what kind of guy should I be? Well, that's a good question. Wouldn't it be good for American society if more men started asking the question, what kind of man do I need to be to get the woman I really think I want? Oh, some good things would happen if people started thinking like that. You know, maybe I would get a job. Just basic stuff. I should probably get my stuff together because this woman isn't going to spend her life with anybody, right? So you see what's happening? What's happening is because of that thought, because I'm not going to be directed by lust, there's clarification and the beginnings of a foundation, the beginnings of a clarity of thought that actually give you something that you can build your life on. And the result is anxiety goes down because I'm not like, who should I go after this weekend? No, 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 the anxiety goes down because you have a clear picture and a path and a way forward because you're dependent on Jesus and his words to guide your life. So what about the other three and a half billion women that you don't get? Well, they may be nice, they may be pretty. They're always going to be pretty. There's always going to be a pretty woman out there, guys. But they have nothing to offer you. And you just go, well, she's, you know, she's she's pretty, but she can't offer me anything because if she did offer me something, that would ruin my life. And I'd ruin her life. And you just get that in your head and you begin to... Train yourself over time to understand that that's the reality. You can't have everything and you can't have everyone. It, the world doesn't work that way. And if you live by that, your anxiety, will, you will live a life of peace. And you won't have all this, oh, I don't know, my life is so stressed out. Ladies, this goes for you as well. So many ladies end up with, you know, guys that we might call less than stellar. What happens? Well, oftentimes it happens because she's willing to offer herself sexually as a way to kind of rope the guy in. Well, if I sleep with him, then he'll stay with me. Huh, right. Or he'll fall in love with me. He'll see that I'm committed to him. And what do they say? Men try love to get sex and women try sex to get love. That's the way that goes. So she thinks if she's just kind enough to him, maybe he'll stop drinking. Or he'll wake up one day and realize he no longer wants to cheat on her because she's the one that's really been there for him and all that craziness that doesn't work. Or you won't look at porn anymore because he's so in love with you. Well, you know what kind of anxiety that causes? See so all these women running around with all kinds of anxiety over relationship anxiety, and you know what? I love you, so I'm saying this in love. You can draw it back to a lot of times to compromises and decisions that you made because you said, I have to have this guy, and I'll do whatever it takes to get him. And you did. You can't blame external factors for that. I'm not saying everything's your fault. In fact, on the contrary, I would say that what the sad thing is there's women in this congregation who, and I know this, I know this, who are gonna leave here and they're gonna carry a low-grade worry. They're gonna go back to their home and face more physical abuse, verbal beratement from an insecure, unhappy dude who takes everything out on her. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in a home like that, you need to get out of a home like that, and, we, and I'm not talking about some guy who's frustrated and you know you guys have an argument or whatever. I, I'm, I'm talking about you, you know there's, we don't split here, but I'm talking about the, the the abuse, the physical abuse, pushing you, shoving you around, screaming at you all day, calling you all kinds of names and you know swear words and all this kind of stuff and breaking you down. With the, if he married you, he he made marriage vows to look after you and and, and to commit himself to you. And to to lift you up. And if you face that every single day, he's breaking his vows. And I'm not saying you run a divorce court, but I'm saying you, you do not live in a home underneath a roof of somebody that you are afraid of every single day of your life. That's not God's plan. That's just not. I don't care what anybody says. So there's all this anxiety. And you wake up one day and you realize you built your life on the sand. The truth is, out of the three and a half billion men in the world, ladies, the plan is there's also one for you. So you got to ask yourself the question, single ladies, what kind of man should that be? Well, maybe as a baseline non-negotiable, it should be a man I don't have to fix. That'd be a good start. You know why? Because women can't fix men. Sorry. God fixes men, not women. God fixes men. You may be cute and sweet and all that stuff, but you're not that good. You lack the ability to do that. You also should be a man that you don't need to sleep with in order to get him to love you. If you have to do those things. So the other day, um, I was actually, last week, I was floating down the Salt River with my son's senior class on their senior ditch day. I was a chaperone. My wife works at the school, and so I was voluntold. They need chaperones, yeah. But they need chaperones. Okay. No, she was very sweet about it, and I said yeah, I'll go. It was great. I got burned to a crisp, froze to death in the water, um, but it was great. So I'm floating down, and when you're, when you're the old guy, like no one wants to hang out with you, right? So I'm like by myself in this, in this tube, and I'm pulling the, the cooler tube, because, you know, why would anybody else do that? So I'm strapped to this other tube, and I'm kind of like paddling, because the water is like, like a quarter of a mile an hour. It's, it's really, there's some kind of endangered bird laying eggs along the sides of the river, so they wouldn't put any more water from the dam into the river. So it was going very slow. But that's neither here nor there. So I'm in the water, and I, and I pass by this group of ladies in a tube, and they're, and, and they're like all drinking, you know, they're like drinking beer, which is no problem, they're just drinking beer, having a nice time. It was like probably 11 in the morning. and uh, <laughs> Whatever. And, but I, but I overhear their conversation, because I'm by myself, and I'm not talking to anybody. And, uh, and the one girl's like, I just want a man who will go to church and raise his hands and worship Jesus. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I almost, I almost wanted to, I was like this close to going, you hold out for it, sister, he's out there. But, you know what I mean, then you're like, you're stalker status at that point, and, but I couldn't help but hear them. But then at the same time, then like, you know, then later on, like, I, I came upon them again and I was hearing like, like choice words that didn't, weren't congruent with like, I want a guy that worships Jesus. Here's my effing tube. And it was just, I don't know, it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of weird, you know, and, and I was like, Hmm. It goes back to that kind of like, if you want something, you should try to align yourself to maybe attract the thing that you want, but whatever. Um, I'm not being judgmental, it was just, but, but here's the thing. Here's a woman that like legit, and I'm like, that's good. You should want that. and You should hold out for that. So the question is, what kind of person do I have to be to find that guy? And I know it's hard. Well, there's guys like that don't exist. They do exist. They are out there. They do exist. There's a lot of good dudes out there. Guys take a bad rap. We say, well, what does this have to do with anxiety? Because if you don't, if you and I don't get this area of lust figured out, which basically says, I need this person or I will die. If you don't get that figured out in your life, if you don't subject it to the authority of God, you are going to create levels of anxiety and and insecurity and unsurety about what to do. Should we sleep together? Should we have sex? I don't know. Uh." There's clear answers out there. Until you got a ring on it and you've you've, you've sat there in the wedding ceremony and whatever, there's no sex. <gasps> oh, you want an anxiety reducer? When my wife and I were dating, we're like, shoot, man, we're Christians. We're believers. We're going to try to obey God as much as possible. So it wasn't like, I don't know if it's the right time. I know when it's the right time. The right time is when I say I do and she says I do. And when that happens, it's like we have a short little reception and say, get out of here. We're going to the hotel. <laughs> I knew what time. I had, I had it down to the minute. I knew when it was the right time. Not a minute later. Anyway just having fun with y'all. But see, that, but see, it reduces it. Now, look what we have now. We have a society that blows up the box. Oh, we, we don't want to tell kids if they're men or women. We want them to, what kind of anxiety do you think you're putting on kids now? When I was a kid, it was so simple. Are you a boy or a girl? I don't know. Well, how do I find out? You look down. I guess I'm a boy. Now, I know there's a few people that, that have a legit challenge. That's just a biological, medical thing. There's a few people. But we've said, no, it doesn't matter who you are. We're just not sure if they're made a boy. just doesn't mean they're a boy. You want to start a... You want to cause... We haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg when it comes to anxiety in the lives of our young people. You don't even have that figured out. You got... I mean, what else could be worse? Anyway, that's the first one. The second thing is this. Building my house on the rock means I go to war against number two, the anger in my heart. So lust is the first one, anger is the second one. Look back at Matthew chapter five. This is part of the sermon. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has someone against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. We never do this, by the way. He's saying don't even come to church and to worship God until you settle accounts with the people in your life that you're mad at. No one does that, by the way, but we should. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. What does that say about the priority that God has among disputes between us, right? But it's, it's anger, right? I'm angry at this person. So my parents live downtown, and I went to visit them, they live in a condo downtown, right off like Central Avenue. And I went to visit them and I pulled into the parking garage and I was in a really good mood. Because life is hard, you know? And so when good things happen, I just, I like to be happy. And when I'm in a really good mood, like I'm just like, like I'm like, ah, oh, life's great, you know? And there's like rainbows and leprechauns and music in my head and I'm just like, ah, you know? And I just wanna fire everybody up. And, I was happy. And, so, and sometimes I can get a little bit, you know, it's easy to get caught off guard. Right? So I go in the parking lot, and I, I park in the parking spot, and I get out, and this guy is there with his little Pomeranian. Now, if you don't know what a Pomeranian is, the official Latin classification is useless doggus. It's a small dog that is an insult to the rest of the dogs. <laughs> now I got out of the car, and I was in a happy mood. And this guy, this Pomeranian, goes, he comes to me and he goes, hey, I think your blinker's broken. I'm like, hmm. like ah, no, nah, it's not broken. He goes, no, nah, your, 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 blinker's, your blinker's broken. I was like, well, I don't think so. He goes, well, you didn't turn it on when you entered the parking lot. <laughs> okay. Well, now we got a problem. Now I'm in, a ha- I'm, I'm in a happy mood. I'm like, I'm like, what's the big like? There's no, there's no problems in the world right now. Everything is good because my life is good. That's how I think. So I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. I, and I saw, no I man, I saw, I saw you. There's no, there's nobody around. There's nobody around. There's nobody around. And I saw you. And then he goes, don't try to justify yourself. Now I'm like, okay, I hate this guy. I hate him. I hate his stupid dog, I hate his clothes, I hate his mom, I hate everything about this guy. Right? I'm like, what is the deal? In fact, if this was an Old Testament story written in the King James Version, they would have described him as an ass. I wouldn't say that about him. I'm saying that was, that's the Old English word. That's how he would have been described. I'm just saying, I took languages in seminary. <laughs> now, so anyway, with the name, I hate to say this. So my dad started, my dad came out and I was like, I'm in my mind, I'm like, does this guy, does he know my dad? They're all in the same building. And so I kind of like diffused it a little bit because I didn't want my, you know, because I, I thought, because my dad knows me and I know my, I thought, okay, let's just diffuse, diffuse, diffuse. was so mad, right? And I went up to my parents' condo, and I was mad. And my parents were like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. And I said, I hate Pomeranians. I hate dudes that walk Pomeranians. I hate everybody that lives in this building. And they're like, what is wrong with our son, you know, Pastor Tim? And then, <laughs> and then I drove home, and I was mad. I got home, and I was mad. I was mad that night. I was mad the next morning. The next week, I went back to their house, and I'm still mad, right? I didn't go, I went back there to visit them, but then when I pulled the parking lot, I'm like, where is that dude? Where is that dude? Because now I know what to say. Like, now I have all the things in my head that I'm gonna say, because I've been rehearsing it in my mind, right? That's so, and even now as I tell the story, I'm so mad. But it helps to talk about him. It helps. But you know, anger is a killer, it's a killer. Jesus says, the law says you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you're angry at your brother, if you have contempt for him, if you have visions of beating him and his dog. (laughs) Just kidding, not the dog. If you you do that, if you have that kind of smoldering rage and you don't deal with it, it will ruin your life and it will send you to hell. And one of the biggest reasons why, you see, here's the thing. This is a relatively benign story compared to a lot of the stuff that you're dealing with, you and I are dealing with. Because right? you got people that were supposed to love you and look out for you that did you wrong. And you don't know how to deal with it. You don't want to talk about anxiety. You're thirsting and hungering for justice. And how do I get it? And what do I do? What should I do? And what should I say? And how do I handle this? Nah. Because the worst thing in the world is to let something like that a crime like that go unpunished. And so much of your emotional energy is taken up by continually feeling as though you've been ripped off and taken advantage of and attacked. And you look at everything in life through that lens and that's the problem. So now everyone becomes a reminder of the person that you're angry at. And so you're gun shy, you're shy in relationships, you won't move forward, you'll repeat the same cycle over and over again, because you don't want to get close to that pain, because you haven't let God break the power that that person has over you, you are letting them do it to you, and you know you are. Bitterness is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, and that's what you're doing. So some of us, we need to be able to say, you know what, God, you've got this. And the reality is for some situation like that, which was kind of dumb, but I did get angry about it. It was like, you know what? You know, God, I-, I need to say, here's a guy. Maybe his last Pomeranian got run over by a guy who didn't turn his blinker on. Maybe he's got a thing. You know, maybe his mom got hit by a car. I don't know. I don't know what happened. So he's all upset. He took it out on me. God, you've forgiven me for far worse things. I've committed much worse crimes against you and other people, and you've washed them away. How then can I hold such a trite and small thing against another human being? And see, until I see it that way, I have no ability. I have no ability to be free, and I don't know God. I don't know the power of God. I don't know the love of God. I don't know the grace of God until I myself meet forgiveness. God meets me where I'm at, comes into my life and says, "I let me take your sin off of you because I love you, set you free from sin. And when I think of the things I've been forgiven for, see, I forget them. But when I remember them, and you should remember, you should remember the things you've been forgiven for. Not so you live in them, but so that you rejoice in the fact that they are not on you anymore and you remember them, and as you remember how far down you were and how high up God has raised you, that is what gives you the capability to look at some idiot with a Pomeranian or the, or the stepfather or the ex-wife or the ex-husband or the failed business partner that took your money and ran and say, you know what? God, you handle them. I trust you. And imagine the anxiety that melts away So really what we're talking about is very simple. It's saying, Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to simply believe in me. I don't want you to check the box on the application or whatever, Christian, who cares? I want you to believe me. Not just believe in me, I want you to follow. And that's what we're looking for here at Compass Church, followers, followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus who go, that's going to be hard, but you know, I think he's right. That's all Christianity is. It's not just, it's not some religion, ritualistic thing. It is a daily life where I say, I take your words and I treat them as though they're true. And when you do that, he says, you will live a life that will be able to withstand every possible thing that can hit it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In this moment, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus, to do it right now. You have been forgiven. The Bible says, anyone who calls out to him, he forgives their sin. And when you recognize what you had been forgiven for, now again, if you don't want it, it's your deal, but you will continue to sow chaos and confusion in your life. You can go your own way. But Jesus says, follow me. And it starts with placing your life in the hands of God, saying God, I trust you. You take over the keys. You take over the whole thing. You are my new boss. I sign the deed over to you. The title is now in your name my life, and I live by your words, and I do things your way. If that's you, just tell them right now. Say, God, you know what? Doing it my way is no good. I'm surrendering my life to you. I want to learn from you. I want to follow you, and I want to trust that I'm a child of God. And if you say that, if you believe that, if you get to that place, That's the conclusion you've come to. Well, then, welcome to the journey. Welcome. Welcome to the island of misfit toys. All of us needing forgiveness and redemption live by the power of God's grace. For the rest of us who who say we're followers of Jesus, who claim to be Christians, is it time to once again resurrender? Say, God, the lust in my heart has been out of control. And it's causing me all kinds of pain and worry and sorrow and stress and anxiety, and I don't know what to do. God, I surrender this to you. The anger, God, melt the anger away. Remind me of what I've been forgiven of so that I can extend that to others. Thank you, Lord, that your power, your authority, stretches far over everything in our lives. And we can live as children of yours, underneath your banner, underneath your flag. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? find out more about our church online, go to www.covischurch.info and we'll see you next time.